What is a monoid? By the end of this episode, you will understand the two properties of monoids and you'll be able to apply them in your systems. That's a big promise. Well, my name is Eric Normand and I help people thrive with functional programming. So why are monoids important? Why even bring them up? Uh, I, that's a, a really good question. Um, I know a lot of people talk about monads and I think it's mostly because they don't, they want to know what they are and they don't understand them. And they think there, there's some magic in Haskell about how IO happens with monads. Um, that's another topic. This topic is about, this episode is about monoids because I actually think monoids are more interesting and more applicable to uh, helping us write better code, especially in a parallel or distributed code in a system that's got uh, computation that has to spread out over different cores or different, um, different machines. So a monoid lets you break up a task into smaller tasks pretty much arbitrarily. Okay, so you don't have to spend a lot of computation figuring out how to break it up. So you break it up into small tasks, spread that out to different workers. So these are on different threads or in different machines. And then here's the key, the monoid lets you put them back together, put the answer back together. Okay, so what are the two properties of monoid? The two properties of a monoid, so first of all, it's an operation. A monoid is an operation, it's not a type or a kind of type. It's not a property of a certain class of values. It's a property of an operation over those values. So for example, addition of numbers is a monoid. Multiplication of numbers is also a monoid. Okay. All right. So what are the two properties? That operation is associative. Okay, we have a whole, I have a whole episode on what is associative, uh, but so I've explained it before, and I'll, I'll explain it briefly in a second. And then the other property is that it, that operation needs to have an identity value. I also have an episode on that, so you should look those up if if this is confusing. But I'll go over uh, a brief recap. Uh, so an associative operation is one that has two arguments, otherwise known as a binary operation. So addition has two arguments, right? It has A plus B, A and B are the two arguments. Um, that's, that's pretty clear, okay? So it's gotta have two arguments. Now here's the other thing. It's gotta take two values of the same type and return a value of that same type. So all three things, the two arguments and the return value have the same type. So look at numbers. Takes two numbers, returns a number. That's addition, right? Multiplication is the same way. Takes two numbers, returns 
a number. Okay, it's not returning a string or some something else, right? It's returning a number. So that's part of what makes uh, it associative. The other thing is that the grouping, because you've got this, it's kind of like, I look at it like a triangle, like an upside down triangle. I've got an A and a B, and it gives me a C, right? And they're all the same type, okay? So because I've got the A and the B at the top, and the C at the point at the bottom, uh, you can think of this associative operation as a combining operation. Like addition is a way of combining two values. It's not always combining. It's not always clear that that's a good way to think about it. Like in multiplication, are you really combining two numbers? But with addition, you, you definitely are, right? You're like combining two piles of rocks into one big pile of rocks. That's addition. That's the that's where sort of the the abstract operation of addition comes from right is you just take have piles of things and you put them together and now you have a big pile um, and so if you imagine I have um, I have three things to add I have a B and C and I want to get the I want to add them up I can add up a and B first get a number and then I add C to that number so I come I use the same operation again so I did a plus a plus B get a number let's call it D and then I take that D and I do D plus C and now I get E and that is my answer you notice it's I, I I'm trying to make it graphical here I had a and B and I had it then those are in a triangle and they lead down to the point D and then that D and C form a new triangle and it leads down to the point E. Okay. Or, so that's one way I could do it. Or I could do this other way, which is I have A plus B plus C. I could take B plus C as the top of the triangle, go down to D, and then do A plus D and go down to E. Right? So graphically, it's, it's kind of symmetrical right it's the same I'll get the same answer but I've grouped them differently the the triangles kind of group on one on one side of the group to the left and then on the other side of the group to the right okay that is what associative means really when you when you when you uh, put this into the context of doing work over a distributed system what it means is I can make like a hierarchy of workers where the workers at the bottom of the hierarchy, the bottom of the tree, are doing, adding up the tiny bits. And then there's like kind of their supervisor right above them is adding up all of the work that they're doing into a bigger number. And then there's the supervisors of the supervisors and they're adding up all of the supervisors work and then there's the supervisor of the supervisors of the supervisors and then they're adding up all their work and then there's kind of like the super supervisor up at the top adding up everything so you can make a hierarchy and it doesn't matter how they're grouped right that's what associative means that the triangles as they're added up I guess this way the triangles are going up but as they're added up, it doesn't matter how they're grouped. I can do the work at the bottom and it will get grouped up into the top 
arbitrarily because it's it's you know what you don't want to do when you're distributing the work is spend a lot of time thinking spending cpu power figuring out oh what's the best way to break this problem up you just want something like i'm just gonna chop this pile of rocks in half with you know just put my hands in it just push it in, in roughly two you get one half you get one half now start counting right and what they're going to do is they're going to say, oh, it's too big for me to count. I'm going to split it roughly in two. And I'm going to tell my, you know, sub-supervisors to work. And then they're going to give it, they're going to split it up into two and give it to their two workers. And then the answers will bubble up through this associative operation. Okay. Probably digress too much about associativity here. I do have a whole episode on it. The other thing is it needs an identity. This is in order to be considered a monoid, right? That's, this is just the definition of monoid. So identity really means an empty value. Okay, well, let's, let me put that in quotes, empty value. Um, in numbers for addition, the empty value is zero, right? It's kind of like, where do you start? So before you count, where do you stand? Where do you start? You start at zero, and then you start one, two, right? So you start at zero. You don't have to say it when you count because it's assumed I have zero before I start. Okay. With multiplication, the identity is one, which is where you start, right? Because if you started at zero, you multiply it out, you're always going to get a zero. So one, one is sort of like the, the the null value, the value that doesn't change anything. That's what the identity means. Okay, okay. So basically, you need a way for someone to get started. You need a value that they can start at. So your workers are saying, well, I haven't counted anything yet. I'm at zero, right? Okay. Don't want to digress too much into identity. Again, there's an episode on that if you want to learn more about it. Okay, so let me give some examples of monoids in case this wasn't clear that it's not just about like addition. So string concatenation is a monoid. Okay, so if I have string A and string B, I concatenate them, I get a string C. Notice it's got the, the types are all the same, string, string, and string. Um, and then it's got an identity. What is the identity of the of strings of, of concatenation? It's the empty string. That's where you start. If I take an empty string and I concatenate it onto any string, I get that string back, front or back. Um, same, likewise with list concatenation. Lists and strings are pretty similar structurally. Um, map merge is associative. If I take two maps and I make a new map that has all the keys from A and all the keys from B, uh, that is associative. The identity, you can probably think of it, is the empty map. So no keys. That's perfectly fine. Uh, I've already talked about uh, addition and multiplication. Um, and and or are associative. Uh, they take two booleans and return a boolean. The identity is different for or. The identity is true and for f 
false uh, for and the identity is false. Wait, is that right? No, I start. I said that wrong. For or the identity is false, and for and the identity is true. Okay. Um, you can you can work that one out uh, for yourselves on some paper. I think it, 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 it's a useful exercise. Uh, and then some other things you might not think of as monoids. Um, that are you know if you if you squint they're combining operations uh, min and max so min takes two numbers and will return the smaller of them so again remember we got the the two types the two arguments same type return value is the same type okay doesn't matter how you group it if I have three numbers a B and C and I want to figure out what is the smallest of all three of these? I can take the first two and then uh, and min them, and then the result of that and the third one I can min it. Doesn't matter how I start, how I group it. Okay, same for max. Um, and then, so so min is 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 associative. What is its identity? Well, the identity of min has to have the property that if I do min with that with that identity and any other number, let's say let's call it a. So the identity mined with a will always give me a. So what number is that? And when you think about it, it must be positive infinity. It must be the biggest possible number or some some logical representation of that of infinity a number that is bigger than every other number likewise the identity of max is the smallest possible number which is negative infinity some logical representation of that so um, that's great because that means that in a hierarchy in a tree you can figure out the biggest number or the smallest number. And there's actually a story um, that I've seen this in a video somewhere. I don't know where, but someone was trying to show um, that you can do work, a distributed work uh, in people. And if each person does like a, just a very small task, the whole room could come up with the correct result of the computation and so what they did was they asked everyone to write down their birthday and then when everyone had finished that they were in rows it was like a, a theater right like a theater style classroom and uh, they said everyone um, if you're on the okay but they said if you're on the left pass so there's no one to your left you're the furthest on the left pass your birth date to the right and then if you have two birthdays in your hand, pass the biggest one to the right. Okay. And then, so, that, so the highest birthday in the row starts to bubble up to the right. Okay. Because everyone's doing this one little comparison operation. They pass it to the right. So then the person on the right, so the person with no one to pass it to, they have two. What they're supposed to do is pass the highest one forward okay so then now you have the rows are bubbling up their uh, 
the highest birthday to the front. And so the person in the front right position in the classroom, when, when everyone had passed, right? So everyone, except for the people on the left, they now have one card, except for the person in the front who has two. He has, you know, the, you're right. He has, or he or she has two cards. Um, some card plus the highest one, which is the highest birthday. And so then the professor took the card and said, okay, this is the birthday of the oldest person in the room and read off the birthday. And then that person stood up and it was like some old person. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it worked, <laughs> right? There's the oldest person in the room. And then they asked, is anyone older than that? And it was no. So they found the answer. And when you think about this, they were doing the max operation on the dates or maybe the min, min operation because it's the oldest birthday. So it's the min, minimum birthday. They were doing min and they were able to combine them first on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But then you notice the min of, so that's, you know, each, each individual person was doing one comparison but then when the min for the group was discovered for the row was discovered it that one was minned with the the whole class all of the rows were minned together and so this is a, an example of arbitrary grouping so whatever rows you know happened to be to be exist to exist it was arbitrarily grouped and then arbitrary grouping of the the rows they were in some random arbitrary order as well and so when the answer bubbled up it was a single return value that had been the min of multiple mins okay so that is the power of associativity right there that you can you can take you can start with two things so two dates compare them you get an answer and then someone else is doing the same thing. They're comparing two dates. They get an answer. And now you're comparing those two. You get an answer, right? So you, it's like a hierarchy and the answer is bubbling up. Okay. So I, I think that that that's a pretty good story for explaining how these things can do distributed work and why they're so good at it. You could imagine having this classroom do lots of work like that. Lots of different kind of computation tasks, right? They could add up numbers uh, where each person has two numbers and then they pass the answer uh, to, the, uh, to the number to the, to the end of the row and they add up all these numbers, etc. And then the rows add up all their numbers and the work is done faster because no one, it's not done, it's done in parallel. Each row is working uh, at the same time. All the rows are working at the same time instead of one person going through one number at a time, adding and adding and adding and adding. Um, right. So I just wanted to give one more example of a kind of task you do. Let's say you needed to figure out the, let, let's say that you're, you're at a school. Okay. It's just one building. It's got all these classrooms and you need to figure out a lunch order for everyone in the whole school because you're going to have lunch delivered today. 
And you know that if you went individually as one person to each person in the school, you could figure out the lunch order, but it would take longer than you have because it's already 9 a.m. You have to get everybody's order. Then they has to have time to cook it and deliver it for lunch. So there's just no time to walk to every person and ask them. So what can you do? Um, well, to break this problem up, you can say, well, if I have two lunch orders, I know how to combine them into a bigger lunch order. So if everyone writes down what they want, they're like, let's say they're student IT and then what they want for lunch. And then, so everyone has that first initial, uh, piece of data, right? Now, then you can have like, let's say someone at the end of the row in their classrooms, combine all of those into a single bigger order, right? So that's a combining operation. And then someone at the front of the class would combine all of the rows together into a single one. And then they would run to the floor manager and that floor manager would aggregate all of the classrooms on that floor together into a bigger lunch order. And then all of the people, all of the floors would, let's say, move um, either down or up. It doesn't matter. But let's say they all send their order down. And then the whole, there's like a school manager that adds up all of those orders into one big order. And then they send it off to the catering service. What you're doing is basically a hash map merge, right? So everybody's got a key and value. It's their student ID and then their lunch order. And you're doing a merge between first everyone in the row, maybe as you move to the right, it gets aggregated up. And then as you move forward in the classroom, the rows get aggregated up into a classroom hash map. And then the classroom hash maps get merged together into a floor level hash map. And then the floors get merged in, down to the bottom floor where into one big school wide hash map. And that can happen very quickly because each of the floors is up in each of the classrooms and each of the people in the classroom, each row, each, pe each person is working in parallel. And so as you know, it's basically the amount of time it takes for each so the school wide, um, the school wide lunch order is the answer. It, it just takes as long as let's say it's four floors, four floors, the merging of four hash maps, um, plus however long one floor takes to generate the answer right? Cause the other three floors are happening in parallel. So it's a way of, uh, gaining some time by doing things in parallel. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, it's basically the same thing. You're taking this problem, you're breaking it up. You're making sure that the types are the same on the two arguments and the return value. Okay. So the, the, the type is hash map of ID to order, right? 
and now you can merge them. You've turned it into a monoid, right? You could, you could say like, if you were going to do this in an imperative, like just loop through all the students way, you might never make the hash map for each individual student, right? Cause you might just say, well, what's your student ID and what's your order? What's your student ID? What's your order? What's your student ID? What's your order? And so you never made that smaller type or that smaller hash map of, to make it of the same type. But by giving everyone the, the sort of instruction to make the, hash, the small hash map, you've now turned it into a monoid, which allows for this distributed collection of uh, an aggregation of the data into a single answer. So you're breaking up the problem the big problem into a lot of smaller problems. You're having the computers, other computers do the small problems and then you're combining the answers. Okay, um, I'll recap super quick. So a monoid is an operation like hash map merge that is associative and has an identity. Um, some examples, string concatenation, min, max, map merge, addition, multiplication. There's a bunch of others. Uh, I went over a story about how a room of people could calculate the, um, the oldest person in the room, uh, in a distributed way. I also talked about how you could combine, you could calculate the lunch order of a really big school in less time than it would take to go to each person individually. And... Um, that was it. So I, I, I have a little takeaway that you could do. Um, the way I like to think of it is this classroom. I think it's like a, this classroom that did this distributed calculation is actually a pretty good way of thinking of how you could distribute some work. So if you could come up with this operation that each individual person can do, and then the rows can do, and then the the whole room can do because the person on the right hand side of the row can combine then you've got a monoid and you can distribute the work to the whole classroom so think of how you would get classrooms to do the work um some some examples that you might think of is adding so adding numbers together um let's say you wanted to calculate the Okay, so everyone has like some money in their pocket or some or in their purse or something. So you could figure out how much money is in the room right now. That's pretty cool. So you can add it all up. Um, you figure out the youngest person, the oldest person. Um, you could figure out this lunch order or some other some other operation like that that has that um, is able to combine or you know figure out maybe like think of it like a like a tennis tournament you're trying to figure out who the best person is right so you take two people and you figure out the winner between those two and so that winner becomes the return value right and so you can as a hierarchy you can figure out who is the best tennis player in this tournament by and you don't have to play everybody against everybody you're doing like a, a monadic operation to get up to the top um all right uh, I do want to tell you if you want to see all the past episodes and if 
in the future you want to see future episodes they don't exist yet that's why they're future uh, you can go to lispcast.com slash podcast there you'll find links to subscribe you'll also find uh, a page for each episode that includes the audio version a video version and a text transcript of what I'm saying here you'll also find my email address and links to social media if you want to get in touch with me uh, I'd love to hear about uh, the kinds of problems that you've found that you can solve in this classroom and uh, let me know about them and uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it we'll get into a, a nice deep discussion all right I, don't, I, I can't say I'll see you next time so uh, until next time I'm Eric Normand see you later